That reminds me, actually, I went on a date with someone years ago on Tinder who was, he was like convinced he had all body language things he had just read somewhere. So when I played with my necklace, he was like, oh, that means you're nervous. And I was like, no, I just like to oh, no. fidget. And then I was slouching and he was like, oh, that means you have like low self-esteem. And I was like, I'm a cartoonist, dude. Like I just yeah. have terrible posture. But also low self-esteem. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you saw right through me. Is that a thing of somebody just trying to like sound super smart? I assume that was the first date and that didn't go yeah. anywhere. No, it didn't. I mean, I definitely know when people are negging. Yeah. Like, that's very obvious. It's pretty borderline negging though, right? It was in the territory of negging because it was kind of like to tell someone that they have a low self-esteem is a little bit negging. Yeah. So it was in that territory and it just felt like, uh, it's like, an interesting what tact, though. Read this but that's like, I'm negging and also building myself up as being some sort of expert because I've read a smart article. Yeah, it's really a, a duo attempt. At, but I was yeah. just like, uh, we're never hanging out again. So it didn't work. Was that in New York or San Francisco? That was in New York. It yeah. was many years ago. Is dating better in New York or San Francisco? I don't think I ever dated in San Francisco. Okay. So only I only dated in New York. And it's not as bad as... I mean, I think Tinder itself is inherently bad because it's just like it's so dismissive of people. It's basically... Here's... It's just like it doesn't it doesn't treat people. It's not even just objectification, but it's just like everyone's just a throwaway. Like no one's actually yeah. a real person. And I think that that is like damaging our psyches in a way we're not aware of because it's just so flippant. And it's real people who are like putting themselves out there and we're just like, no, no, terrible T-shirt. But it's also just kind of how basic attraction works. So I sure. get it. But I just think it's sort of. If you do that enough, you just don't see anybody as like a real person. And eventually that's just kind of, it like seeps into your mind somehow. I'm interested in talking to people about that, what it's like in different cities, because I feel like part of that, again, is just being in New York. I mean, it's a numbers game mm -hmm. regardless. The idea of, oh, well, that date didn't really go well, but there's 8 million other people who I could potentially meet. Yeah. And you're like, oh, but I have all these conversations going with other people. Yeah. Then think, and most of the conversations don't even go anywhere. There's like... They're just these little pleasant exchanges of like non-information and then I just don't have time for that yeah. basically. I'm like I can't carry on these conversations with people. I know that locationally and I only know this from a friend of mine who was saying that everyone in LA is on Hinge but here Hinge is like for financial guys. Okay. Kind of, like in that industry yeah. only. And then LA it's like for the just like hip younger kind of people. And then in LA this is all hearsay from one person too. I don't know if this is actually reality and I don't because I don't even live in LA. But supposedly Tinder there is like just for hooking up. Mm. And then Tinder here is still like a dating app. They're like locationally, they're very different. Um, but yeah, if you want to play a numbers game, it's better to probably be in New York where there's just a shit ton of people. So you got a lot of no's to go through. You're a temporary New Yorker. Yeah. Living over in Greenwich in my friend's apartment. Village, not Connecticut. Yeah, that probably is very important. I didn't walk here from Greenwich, Connecticut. Staying in, yeah, I'm staying in an apartment like right on uh, Christopher Street. Yeah. Nor Village Cigars is. Mm -hmm. I can see it from my window. It's insane. It's just like this nice apartment that's not selling, so they're letting me stay there until the actual new tenants come in next month. And it's weird to live in Manhattan. I've been here for, God, probably like 14 years at this point. I never lived in Manhattan, but I, I dated a few people who lived in Manhattan, and it completely different experience waking up and being mm -hmm. in manhattan yeah you're like oh i'm i'm already here yeah. like because i come to manhattan plenty when i lived in in new york yeah. or in brooklyn but it was always like a day you know like going to the city today yeah. that's all i'm doing today and then i just wake up and i'm like oh, i'm already the like what what now and i never go to brooklyn i totally understand when people are like i have to cross the river no i'm just not gonna do that and when i lived in brooklyn i didn't understand that because i was always coming here so there's there definitely is a 
split. I, like once you're in Manhattan, you're like, oh, everything's here. Yeah. Why would I go to Brooklyn? I take the train in every morning. It's almost always a series of just terrible things that happen on the way to the train and then on the train. It's just like it's miserable being jammed into. I mean, I, I love public transit all, but it's miserable being jammed in yeah, there at like the rush eight hour. in the morning. Yeah. And I just wonder what that does to my psyche of just that hour of every single day of just sure, sort of soul crushing despair on the way into the city. I mean, it can't be doing anything good. No. That's part of the human experience of living in the city. But yeah. yeah, it sucks. So yeah, when you're in Manhattan, you don't really have to do that because you're just already here. And I assume to some degree you miss each place when you're living in the other one. But do you have a preference? New York would be my preference yeah. for sure. I love the city. Like I feel like if. My so my family lives in California, and if they lived on the East Coast, I would like do whatever I could to get enough money to start like buying a place here. Like I would just it wouldn't even be a question. Like I would just be here forever. They brought you back to the West Coast. Yeah, because after I got evicted from my apartment uh, last year, no. Oh, it feels like way longer. Year and than a half a year. ago. Yeah. It was a year and a half ago. I just went home because I was like, I don't want to look for another apartment. I have this book I have to finish. I don't even have time to move. And then I got home and was like. Oops. <laughs> was there the sense, the sense of just like, all right, New York, you won. You finally did it after all these years. You, you defeated me. I don't think so. I think more I was just like, I really wasn't thinking about it. Like I was living very unconsciously trying to just get the book done, not realizing like I was going to leave New York and then spend a long time working on a book about New York, yeah. which is horrible. Like that's a horrible thing to do. I didn't think it would matter. I was like, it'll be fine. I'll just power through this and then figure out my life later. Are you talking just like pragmatically as far as not having those reference points in front of you or just having to revisit? Oh, no, I'd already done the research aspect of it. So I was just at the drawing point where it was just like 16 hours a day of drawing. So it was more like an emotional thing to be drawing a city that I – you know how they say like you never really realize how much you love something until you leave it? You're going to hate this analogy, but you're somebody who did a lot of relationship comics after you were out of that relationship. Yeah. Did it? feel similar i'm gonna play the fifth on that one (laughs) (laughs) obviously it's nice to have some distance from a thing it's important to have some distance from a thing while you're working on it i mean it it is but like the process of actually working on something is to take yourself out of real life if you if you don't give yourself enough time i mean in an optimal situation i would have found a balance between the two but if you don't give yourself enough time then you can like turn your brain off and just work on the project and sort of remove yourself from it but i couldn't really do that with this one I mean, before all my work was like, just what's happening now? And then I would move on and I would move on. The work would move on with me. But it was like the work I moved on and the work didn't kind of, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, And then I realized that like part of me needs to be here. Even if I'm not, I mean, the book's over, it's out. I don't need to be here, but I just want to be here. So now I have to figure out how to like split my time, I guess. You felt the need though to break out from the kinds of comics that you had been doing for a while? Yeah, I feel like I got sort of confused about like what was my real life and what was the story, which I think is the danger of doing autobio. Like you can just, you can kind of convince yourself that your life is the story. We talked about this last time and it was like this like big admission from you that you said that you were starting to view life in panels. Oh, well, now it's just a, it's not an admission. It's just it's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, though. It's it's sort of, it's kind of you going through and noticing the way things are happening and breaking them down into beats in order to yeah. sort of distill them into a comic. Yeah, and now I don't do that. I haven't really been writing or anything since I've been here. Like, I'm yeah. just trying to actually live my life and pay attention to that as opposed to try and, like, filter everything I do. Like, do it, but in my mind, like, constantly filtering it through. Am I going to make a comic about it? Yeah. Like, how can I use this material? And I'll be in that position again if I do the next book that I think I will, but 
right now I'm just trying to like not do that. Work is obviously a key part of life. Yeah. But you're not really working while you're out here? Not really. Just because you got this sweet deal in the city? Yeah, and I just finished that New York book. Like yeah. you just, I just needed a break. Like yeah. My brain was just like, I can't just stare at paper for 16 hours a day. So I just needed to like figure shit out, basically. So I came here for a month to solve all my problems. Mm-hmm. How's that working out? <laughs> no, you can't solve all the problems in a month. No. Obviously, there's stylistic similarity between your old stuff and this, but it seems like the process of actually creating the work is really different. It's way more meticulous. You probably have a lot more rulers and straight edges involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was very orderly. Um, It was kind of, I started, I've started to see it differently now, like for a while, it was almost like I wasn't even paying attention to it. And it was, Mm. I didn't, I realized later it was kind of like my form of like a meditation. Like that was how I got out of living my real life, which was actually like a lot of shit happened after I got evicted that was like pretty painful and I just didn't want to deal with it and I didn't have to because I was on deadline. So I just like sat and like it was very pleasing to draw these very straight lines and all these little bricks. Everything was very similar and repetitive and there was something very soothing about that, but that's not living in the real world. So that style wasn't a result of what was happening in your life at the time. It sounds like you already had signed the book deal by then. Yeah, I think this... I mean, I've always liked drawing buildings, yeah. but I think the style was more like emblematic of my mental space at the time. It's like a tribute to like <laughs> losing my mind, basically. Of just needing some order in your life, something to focus on. Yeah. And it had started out fun. Like, I'm just doing history comics and stuff, and then it just became this... And it was never really not fun. I liked drawing. Like, I like drawing. I like, you know, That's putting good. on TV. I watched a lot of Shark Tank, and I just drew a lot of buildings, and it was very pleasing. But it's some, you can't keep doing that there has to be an endpoint so or i wanted there to be an endpoint basically like i just want to do something else now i've certainly found this to be the case in my life is things have a way of snowballing mm-hmm. like one domino falls one bad thing happens to you i had a couple of periods in my life where like every single bad thing happened all at once and this was a way of kind of forming some order out of that chaos i think so just being like i can't really deal with this so i'm gonna just focus on this and it, yeah it's definitely a, it was a domino i mean i feel like the last the last two years for most people I know have had like a, a sort of – it's been a rough – I don't mean like just politically because that's actually kind of – that's not an outside of us, but it's like – it's a bigger picture type of thing. But it just happened to be – I feel like everyone just had a really rough year. This is a realization that slowly dawned on me on election night is there are people who are going to be immediately impacted by mm-hmm. that. Like there are people who – this guy comes in office and their lives are have basically changed, but we're – in a relatively privileged position where we don't necessarily have to deal with that. Yeah. And it's outrageous what's happening. And yeah. like a lot of it we can like feel bad about. But as like middle class white people, we really haven't been affected. So a lot of this stuff is external and it's it's going to happen anyways. Like I'm going to get massively fucked by this tax thing as a freelancer. That's from a point of privilege too. There's like systemically a whole lot of worse things happening that are affecting people directly. But and it, it seems like even though... But it just seems like everyone on like every level just seems to be having like a shit year. Yeah. And I don't really know why. So you're actually meditating now? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying. Uh, I know like I actually was just uh, at the Alabaster bookshop on my way here okay. and like picking up a, a book about Buddhism. And I was like, oh, my God, if, if like 10 years ago yeah. I saw myself like my future self and I would be like, what a cheesy idiot. But like we're both from Northern California. So we very much have that hippie culture that I think we're both trying to. to yeah. Maybe not rebel against, but certainly not embrace too heavily. Yeah. I mean, I definitely fought the crunchy aspect of California. So when I moved to New York, I was like, oh, this is where I belong. Everyone's like, everything's very frenetic and like everyone's really anxious. And like, I just liked the, 
the sort of the feeling of that. But no, now it's like these things are valid. These like, you know, meditating and like in yoga and all these things are just people trying to like fix themselves and get right. And like, I don't think it's lame anymore because I do it now. <laughs> so I have to not think it's lame. I do think that the the culture around these things can be very cringeworthy, uh, especially yeah. when it's like the ponytails. Yeah. <laughs> and all that all the outfits and everyone running around being like, I'm being mindful, I'm being mindful and then the commodification of that, which as soon as something gets popular, it's gonna be commodified and that then the aspect then it becomes gross and it's like then you can rebel against that or you can just kind of let it you know, just that's just how things work and I understand that. So I don't really have a problem. I was just talking to Sarah Glidden about this, how anything that becomes popular, like automatically we we kinda of want to automatically, that's not a word. Mm-mm. Automatically mm-hmm. we want to rebel against it some people yeah some teenagers but like with this mindful stuff it is very popular but i think that like as society as a whole right now really needs that like we're all sort of running around being like in this this new world and just being like what the fuck is happening you know we don't know how technology is really changing us it's Mm -hmm. still fairly new and i think that we just need it and that's why it's so popular and yeah people don't understand it. They take it too far. They commodify it. They turn it into a lifestyle that's so far from the original practice of mindfulness. But I'm trying not to get too involved in that and just be like, what can I actually learn from this that like works for me? I mean, I just started doing it, but I think it's hard. It is really hard, especially because I have, I have like an ins, my mind is like always, the whole thing is like, I'm not friends with my brain. I get stressed out meditating, which I know is not a thing that should happen. (laughs) I've tried off and on for ever, probably at least since college, because I did go to a very hippie college. Mm -hmm. And I find that every once in a while it'll work, I feel like as advertised or as it's supposed to, but when it doesn't, it's that sort of, you know, that thing where you have to be up in the morning, you have to maybe have to be at work or school and you can't get to sleep. And the fact that you can't get to sleep is stressing you out more and is making you not sleep even more. Yeah. You're, you're feeding it. That's what meditation is like half the time for me. Well, I mean, I think, and I hear a lot of people saying this and I've certainly felt that way. And I think it's because we're told there's a right way to do it. And I don't, think that that's helpful. I think it's like when I definitely am like, I'm not doing it right because I like, haven't been focusing on my breath or what, you know. But it's like saying there's no right way to sleep, but you're, you definitely wake up sometimes more refreshed than others. Sometimes it has a more positive impact than Sure, others. but also you can't really help it all the time. Like yeah. I don't, there's no point in getting mad at yourself, I'm saying, for like n- not doing it right. Like sometimes when I'm meditating, yeah, I just sit there and I end up like focusing on one thing that I shouldn't be and then yeah. spiral out. I'm like, oh, that was a really unrelaxing 20 minutes of me just like fixating on one problem um and then sometimes it works but even on even on the days when it's just me doing that one problem i'm like that's fine that's just what my brain needed to do and like i couldn't bring it back to focus and that's just where i was today and that's okay like to to run around and be like am i sitting upright am i doing it right am i focusing right it's just like it's just a cycle of like beating up yourself up for no yeah. reason. There's a bunch of meditation apps and I've listened to a couple of them and they have these sort of guided meditations you go through. Mm-hmm. And I've had a few of them which were basically, I think it was like a pre-sleep meditation and it's sort of like going through your body head to toe and unclenching muscles. Yeah. And that's the one that I think has had the most profound impact on me because there are so many muscles that I don't realize I'm clenching. My jaw, I've gone through an entire day, this just incredible nervous bundle of energy and all of my muscles are strained from it. Yeah. I'm a big jaw clencher. I basically have like Coke jaw all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Just like there's things you notice like that. 
And then once you start noticing them in usually in meditation, you start noticing it throughout the rest of your day and being yeah. like, oh, stop clenching your jaw. And then hopefully that can stick. But I think for me, it's been about just like keeping things very simple. Like meditating is actually very simple. You're just focusing on the breath. Yeah. That's all you're doing, bringing it back to that. You can overcomplicate it if you want, but I don't think that's helpful. So for me, it's just about focusing on one thing, keeping things simple, not trying to overcomplicate things. And then I'm not uh, an anxious person and I don't have a lot of, I have a lot of like emotional stress, but on the surface, like I have, I'm housed, I have people I love, I'm taken care of, I have food, like I have all the basic Doesn't mean you're not anxious. No, I guess I, but I just don't feel like that tension. I don't have a lot of tension yeah. that I'm dealing with, I don't think, but I definitely can overcomplicate things. I love to overcomplicate things. So for me, it's just about remembering to keep things simple. I remember the first time that I went back to Santa Cruz from New York. And the campus is basically in the middle of the Redwoods. Mm-hmm. So I remember walking outside and realizing that it was it was dark outside and realizing that it was quiet mm-hmm. and that these are just not things you ever really get a chance to experience in New York. Yeah, especially the quiet. Especially yeah. if you live in Manhattan. <laughs> Brooklyn is so quiet compared to Manhattan. Yeah, and how did but how did that make you feel like recognizing that? It was the same as that exercise of basically unclenching a muscle of just realizing that you know it, living in this city is a, basically a process of never stopping. Mm-hmm. Because you know, like you said, there's just this a certain energy here, and you were talking about riding a subway, things like that. But really, in order to live and exist in the city, you have to constantly be working. You have your side hustles, mm-hmm. all those other things. And and that was really the first moment where I really felt like I kind of had a chance to, to decompress. And, and it made me a little nervous about what New York maybe was doing to my body and my mind. When we're in our 20s, we can be fueled by nervous energy. Like it's mm-hmm. perfectly possible. And But, you know, at at a certain point, things do need to slow down. I do sort of worry that maybe maybe the city is slowly killing me over time. (laughs) That's why people come here and then they leave eventually. I mean, some people stay forever, but I feel like the majority of people, especially if you grew up in a like I grew up in the country, I grew up in a very nature dominated area. And I in California right now, I live in one. But I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I don't like that. I don't dislike nature i like hiking but it's just not it doesn't feed me i need to be in the city and see people and like communities around i just need people around especially because my work is so solitary so i need to just constantly have be able to go outside and just see people doing their things see different people like i just like how like every neighborhood is its own community and to some extent they like become different countries so it's almost like you don't have to go anywhere (laughs) just always just go through all the different neighborhoods. That's what I need because my life is very quiet, actually. As an artist, I just sit and draw. So I don't feel that anxiousness that a lot of people in New York, I think, feel because I have a quiet life. I do think everybody in this city probably fantasizes about moving somewhere else from time to time. It's probably a natural part of it. I don't know how much of this is just not unique, but how much of this is just part of me. But every time I go anywhere, I sort of picture myself and what it would be like to live in the city. New York, for all of its wonder, has a tremendous amount of downside. And this is probably something that I think you've been meditating on a lot lately are the changes that the city is going through. Mm-hmm. The question is whether we're just in flux, whether we're moving towards something, whether this is a natural occurring part of the process that has happened for the hundreds of years that you know settlers have occupied the city, or whether things are really just sort of changing for the worst. Every week I hear of a place that I've 
you know, used to frequent or love that's going out of business. Like tomorrow night we're going to grassroots because uh, it's closing on the 31st. Like all these like cool bars and everything else is sort of going away. And the question is how much of that character is just inherent to New York and how much of it's changing and whether I can continue to find a place for myself in amongst those changes. Yeah. I mean, I think that the nature of cities is because they're constantly changing. Like everyone... Everyone has a tendency, and I understand this because I do this too, to but like to see their time as like the most concentrated, the most important, like things sure. are changing the most right now. And it's because we only know what we know. If you just think about the history of a city, especially one like New York, where we're like, yeah, this has been going on for hundreds of years, changing and new buildings and all this stuff. But hundreds of years versus like billions of years mm-hmm. of all the time before the city. So if you think of it in the context of like the whole span of humanity this is such a concentrated time these yeah. last few hundred years that we've built this insane city around us so what is happening is like unprecedented and we don't know really what it's leading to and a lot of times it does seem terrible you mean like, that the last 400 years are unprecedented or the last 10 years are unprecedented both yeah because it's ex- you, the city, you think it's accelerated well yeah i think technology has accelerated yeah. in a way that we don't even fully see because it's still new like we we haven't been able to communicate with people the way we do now, the way the way we take for granted, like that's very recent. That's like the last 20 years, the way we've yeah. been able to do that and what's happened and the way it's expanded. However, just on the base level, cities are always changing and growing and like that's part of it. And we lose a bar and that's really sad because that's a community thing. So when we lose a bar and it's replaced with like a T-Mobile store, that feels like that's a bummer because that's not a community. That's a that's a store that's just selling you. Sh- Actually, that's a bad example because they're selling you something you can use to communicate with other people. But they're all banks and drugstores. Yeah, it's like the Dwayne Reed. Yeah, or a, when it's stuff like that yeah. where you're like, it just it's kind of soulless stuff basically, yeah. where you know it's not a place to hang out anymore. So that is very sad, but that's always what's happened in a city, I think, except to the extent that some of these things are new, like T-Mobile. Like, you know, just cell phone stores. Um, you know, banks aren't new, obviously. I don't know. Like, I, it is definitely, exce- it seems to be accelerating within the last 10 years, like more than it ever has before. But how do we even know? Because these cities aren't that old. You've really been exploring the history of the city. That was a big part of this project. Yeah. And a lot of it was looking at, you know, how it was 100 years ago and how it is today. And But I focused a lot on the places that are the same. And if... What I started to notice when I was doing the then and the then and now drawings was so if you just take like a regular like I focused a lot on Greenpoint and so say Manhattan Avenue. You were in Greenpoint for a while, yeah, right? For yeah. ten years. And I drew I would draw all the storefronts of a whole city block and then draw it a hundred years later and they really wouldn't be that different. Like the stores were still kind of they were selling clothing and shoes and food. And then, you know, here and there there's new things like cell phone stores and like drugstores are just the same as old pharmacies. Like they're technically like 80% of it is still exactly the same yeah. as the stores 100 years ago. We don't have blacksmiths anymore, but you know. <laughs> we have tire shops. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really it's not really all that different. Yeah, so it's really hasn't it does a lot of things have changed cuz we have these glass towers going up, but also these glass towers are just our current architecture. Yeah. 100 years from now they're going to look at those glass towers and be like, "Oh, they're so weird and old and cool." Cuz who knows what we like living in in air. I don't even know what we're going to be living in. But it's going to this everything we see now will be old eventually yeah. if Manhattan just doesn't get swallowed by the sea. It's such a cliche. People talk about Woody Allen movies. I know it's a bad reference point, but bear with me. 
Yeah, or, Boone, know, Woody I, Allen. We'll just get that. We yeah, yeah. cover all the bases. Or Bill Cosby, <laughs> for example. <laughs> when people talk about these really iconic movies in the city, that that's the kind of the cheesy thing to say is that the New York is a character in the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm in a relationship with New York. Yeah, oh, I think that all the time. But <laughs> were you able to? I mean, cruel when, mistress. Yeah, when you pull the camera back a little bit and we're looking at things in more of a historical context, were you able to sort of? put your finger on some through line or something that really keeps drawing you back here? I mean, I just, I really like all the old stuff that is kind of around. Like if you, like just today I walked up to, I meant to go to the Met, but I didn't, I always like have these grand plans to go to museums and then I get up there and I'm like, eh, I'm just going to keep walking. You get to the place. and Yeah, I was like on walking. the steps of the Met and I was like, oh, I just want to go get a soda. Um, so it, I like, fi- I like seeing everything that is, old and unchanged like mixed in with the new stuff so i like just to like look for little old things and when i find something like lettering you know fading on a building and then there's this app called old nyc and you can like you hit the where you are and like pulls up all these old photos it takes me forever to go anywhere in the city now so i'll find it and i'll see like the building when the paint was new of the ad and like I don't know, that just like hits a pleasure point in my brain where yeah. it's like, I'll just stand there and be like, <laughs> I think that does tie back into the idea of mindfulness when you, it's probably different to some degree being an artist and being a freelancer, but really when you're moving through the city, you know, you have your blinders on, you're, you're mm-hmm. trying to sort of avoid other people and get from point A to point B. And a big part of that is really not paying attention to your surroundings. Yeah. And my intention with the book is I want people to pay attention. I want them to like learn little things about architecture and not even, you know, I don't even know architectural terms. Like that's not important. That's just. It's important to somebody, Julia. To architect. It's important to people who it's important to. Yeah. But for like the average person. Like me, like I spent many years in New York just like barreling through it. I just think it's important for people to like observe their surroundings and put it into context. Like people were here before us and there's evidence of a hundred years ago what was happening right here. So you just don't see yourself in this little bubble in this capsule, like just going through the city. I think it's important to like recognize that this is our time, but there was a lot of time that came before that. I don't really know what people would then do with that, but it is sort of like, yeah, practice of mindfulness, just like this is me right now in this moment, but also surrounded by all of this stuff that like other people created in the past that now serves me. What's the process of actually going through and figuring out what you're going to write about it? I mean, to some degree, it did seem like you're kind of crowdsourcing the process. I remember you asking people for suggestions of certain things to write about, but how much of it was really just kind of you walking around the city and chronicling? Um, I think in the end, it mostly was... Me, I like I like to ask the internet for suggestions and then ignore all of them. <laughs> I'm terrible. Um, no, sometimes people have very, and I think that's like that's a very valuable resource for me, yeah. actually, because like I don't know all the things. They're particularly helpful when you're know? not in the city and working on the project. Yeah, exactly. Especially sometimes I need photographs of things, and I just be like, "Does anyone live near this point and yeah. can take a photo?" And it was great. It was super helpful. And like, God bless Twitter for that. But a lot of it was looking at old photos at the library and then walking around and like seeing which parts I wanted to draw. And then honestly, once I was gone and I, and I, if I still needed something, I just used Google Maps. Like that's something technology gave me. You can just like walk right through the city. But that also was painful because I was like, I just want to be seeing it like with my eyeballs. I don't want to be looking at it on my computer. But it was helpful. I won't deny that. That must have just changed the process though when, when you first started pulling the idea together and when you first pitched it. It must have changed your relationship to the city and walking around the city again in the same way that, you know, conversations or life events were impacted by 
the three panel structure, walking around the city and thinking about how things could fit into a book would, I would assume, change a relationship. Yeah. Well, you just you see everything. Yeah. Like, even before I started working on the book, I definitely, I remember when I started really looking at buildings in New York, but I wasn't, I was appreciating them, but then as soon as I started drawing them, that's when I really started to actually see them, see all the little things. And that's, I don't think everyone should do that. That's going, that's just my, my thing. That's like going really deep into something. Yeah. I mean, every street then became like, do I, should I draw this street? Should I draw this street? And then often I would... (laughs) The streets I would appreciate the most, I wouldn't draw because they're just a nightmare to yeah. draw. Like a lot of the old theaters, like all the old theaters around Broadway, I think are really cool. I don't want to draw them because there's so many little details. They're like, I don't have time for that shit. And also I just like old tenements. Like there's something very pleasing about a tenement building that's just bricks and windows and like and storefronts and that's it. Like something's very pleasing to me. Utilitarian. Yeah. It's like no nonsense. Yeah. But then they're all different sizes, you know, and they're all like kind of built Usually relatively around the same time anyways, but just like they're just different, even though they're very similar structure. And I like that. It's like that exercise of asking someone who isn't an artist to sit down and draw a bicycle from memory. I drew so many bicycles in that book and I still can't. They still like that still just like a visceral reaction to you just saying draw a bicycle. I was like, oh, no. You you audibly shuddered. (laughs) You can be really familiar with an object or a place and just not understand the subtle nuances of the way that things connect together. Yeah, until you actually have to look at every brick, every detail. But now I have to make a conscious effort sometimes not to because I can get so absorbed. I'm like the worst tourist because I'm never looking straight ahead. Today, I actually almost walked into a pole and someone went, watch out. And I looked up and I was like. <laughs> you're like a person on a smartphone without the smartphone. It's not that you aren't aware of your surroundings. It's it's that you're too aware of your surroundings. Yeah. I'm just, I'm looking off at these buildings yeah. and I look like, I'm just like, from an outside point of view, I look like a manic pixie dream ghost being like, <laughs> I'm just walking around, never looking where I'm going. Look at all these things up in the air. But I'm just like concentrating on the buildings. Yeah. And I have to, if I have to get somewhere on time, I have to like make a very concentrated effort to not really look at them but then i start looking at people's faces is that it's 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 problematic for me to walk through the city like i can't turn it off probably bad for people to walk through the city with you as well oh yeah i'm sure it's it takes forever i would never want well karen's good at walking through the city with me karen snyder she she's so yeah she's so good at like she's so funny and like fun to talk to that like that actually helps distract me but then she's also patient when I'm, I got to linger on some corner. You touched on this a little bit, but unlike a lot of other places, even other cities, in the same way that it's so concentrated and packed with people, all the buildings are really smashed together and the streets are relatively narrow. So it's, in a sense, it's kind of, unless it's, you know, something big and out in the open, like the Empire State Building and the Chrysler, it's probably hard to take those things in unless you're really hyper-focused on them. Yeah. Even then it's overwhelming. Yeah. Like just walking today up going up Manhattan was like, I just felt very overwhelmed. I was like, I can't see all of it, but I want to. Like, I want to see all of it. I love, that you're, like, no I love that you're like, all right, I'm taking a break from work, but like, you're still like, you're very much in that mode. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to turn it off now. It's been going on for so long. It's yeah. just like, I mean, that is probably when going out to nature might be good because my brain is just constantly like, just like hyperactive when I'm walking around the city. But I, I mean, that's what I like. That's yeah. what like I get a lot of ideas when I'm doing when I'm walking in nature. I don't really get a lot of ideas. I'm probably too at peace. My brain doesn't work. It kind of shuts down. Like nature is very, it's beautiful to look at, but like it, my brain doesn't 
focus on it the way it focuses on architecture. You need an extra level of patience. I mean, you, you can be like John Porcelino or something and sit there <laughs> and like wait for a groundhog and spend a day sketching a groundhog. I, I love that he can do that. Yeah. I'm envious that he can do that. But it's a very different process of doing that. Yeah, I just need – yeah, there's a lot of patience. I just need like a lot of stuff yeah. to look at. And it's got to be a lot of people. It's got to be a lot of buildings. Would this book have worked in San Francisco? Yeah, I think it would have. Um, but it would have been harder because drawing Victorians is a lot harder. Um, actually, and also, there is already an artist in San Francisco who does a lot of streetscapes who I was really inspired by when I got started. Uh, do you know Paul Madonna? I don't. He did this. It wasn't a comic, but it was like an illustrated with words sort of thing called Oliver Coffee. For like, I, I liked it before I even really got into comics. So it was many years ago. And I almost kind of felt once I started drawing New York, I thought I was like, I can go do this in San Francisco. And then I was like, you know what? <laughs> he already did that. Even though that's everyone's drawn New York. There's there's no reason to think that yeah. way. I don't even know why I'm saying this right now. Uh, that's my making excuse for not doing it. Yeah. It would work in San Francisco. I just don't know if it like doesn't call to me as much as New York does. But you lived there for a while and you love it, but you don't have the same level of affection for San Francisco as New York? No. And I I think it's because... I mean, I did. I love San Francisco. I lived there for like yeah. five years. San Francisco is like a lot tougher of a city to live in now. I think not just because of tech. I mean, tech is a monster, and what's happening to San Francisco is a tragedy. But um, just from the aesthetic point, if you if I remove you know the my issues with the tech industry and what it's doing to the city, the homeless issue in San Francisco like breaks my heart. Like well, I those can't. Those two things just... are really connected too. Yeah, and the disparity between the two. You've got Twitter's headquarters on Market, mm -hmm. right next to the Tenderloin, like two blocks away. People are literally shitting in the streets. Yeah. And to just see, like, the human condition is so concentrated yeah. in San Francisco. To just see, like, yeah, the, the richest and the highest and then the lowest. of the And it's just, like, I used to be able to ignore it. My brother actually works for the San Francisco. It's called HOT, so it's the Homeless Outreach Team. He's in there every day, like, in the Tenderloin, dealing with this, like, yeah. on the ground. So I hear a lot of his stories. I go there and I see it. And I, when I was younger and I lived there in my early 20s, I would just, I didn't care, you know? I was just, like... Oh, the bums are crazy today. That bum called me a cunt and this is, you know, that one chased me with his wheelchair or whatever. And now like, it was almost like adventure in the city yeah. when you were younger. Yeah. It was like, this is life in the big city. Yeah. And now I'm just like a much more sensitive person, much to my chagrin. So when I like walk through the city, it just it like it's too hard. Yeah. So to some extent, every time I go to the city, I just feel very drained. And it hurts in a way that it didn't used to. Just that being the city that you grew up with, I felt the same way. I, I was just like, oh, this is just how life is in the big city. <laughs> like, yeah. San Francisco for most of my life was the only city I had really been exposed to for any period of time. It didn't really feel out of the ordinary. And then you come to New York has a homeless problem. It, it always has. But I don't know, maybe it doesn't have the same mental health problem that San Francisco has. Yeah. The, well, the homeless population in San Francisco is in your face. Like, you can't ignore it. And we shouldn't. As human beings, we shouldn't ignore, like, the, yeah. the people who are suffering and need help. But it can be draining to live amongst it if you're a person with feelings. I really had my breaking point over the last couple of years because I, I go back now several times a year for work. And I'd always – part of me had always thought that I was going to move back to San Francisco um, because my family's there. And also, I really loved it. You know, I still – as cheesy as it sounds, it's every time I like drive across the bridge in the city from the airport, like it makes me really happy. 
Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful city. These last couple times, I can't really, I can't imagine myself going back. Yeah. Well, also, we couldn't afford to go back. And, you know, I guess everyone lives in Oakland now. But I just, I find the Bay Area to, it's so hard in a way that didn't used to be. And I mean, and I live, I'm living in Boys Hot Springs right now. I don't know if you know it. It's a really, uh, it's a really bumping town. It's a town right above, it's like right above Sonoma. Okay. That's, so you're, you're from around there, right? Yeah, I'm from Napa. It's like very pretty there. It's it's beautiful. Survived the fires? It did. Yeah. They were very close, um, but everything's yeah. fine for the most part, except for the entire neighborhoods that were decimated. But um, And then, yeah, I just feel like, uh, so I'm kind of out, I'm like an hour north of San Francisco right now, but I, you can't really go to San Francisco. Like the traffic is so crazy. So it's not like... In you know, if you kind of live on the outskirts in New York, you just take the train in or take the subway in, and it doesn't feel. But you have to like take the a car in San Francisco. It just feels nuts. The Bay Area just feels out of control. Yeah. Like it's growing at a rate that it's not ready for. So it's just I don't know. Like almost it doesn't even know how to contain itself. Well, San Francisco in and of itself is an incredibly small city, and you can't build too high because of all the earthquakes. Earthquake, yeah, that population can't go too far. A lot of them have started trickling over into Oakland, which like. As bad as it sounded, as, as I was like, when I was a, a child, like, there were just parts of Oakland that you didn't go to. Like, and that's really not as much. I imagine Brooklyn was very much the same way. But the sprawl of the Bay Area is so big now that there's probably, there's really just no place for those people to go. Yeah, the land isn't big enough to, like, hold as many people as are trying to be there. Once you get out of the city, it becomes a suburb. So the Bay Area itself is this huge swath of land. So if, if you are a person who can't afford to live in the city, probably can't afford to live out of the city either. No, because outside of outside of the Bay Area is, like, sort of where I live, where it's, like, yeah. the fancy wine country. Like, wine country kind of takes up all of the the north of that area and then you can go above that and it gets real trashy that's then you're then we're talking you know like three hours out of the city yeah and then that's just that's too far california's got a lot of meth pockets too yeah that's i was thinking of a clear lake which is like an hour north of me where you get up there and you're like it's like a totally different nice lake yeah it's it's cool up there um yeah but then if you go south of san francisco you got silicon valley yeah then you go east and it's like sacramento and tahoe and that can get real expensive too so it's really there's California is ridiculous. That's and it's always on fire. <laughs> I don't that state is Either absolutely shaking insane. Either on fire or a drought or probably all three yeah. at the same time. Why does anyone live there? It's like a never ending. Again, where do you go? You know, again, this is like I said, this is a conversation that I have with myself every time I go to a new city. I love Seattle, but Seattle is starting to go through all of the growing pains that San Francisco has been going through for the last like mm-hmm. 15, 20 years. They've got Microsoft. They've got Amazon there. Yeah, and it's like five years that they're seeing it. Just- yeah, I'm at least like walking through the downtown area and there were people nodding off on every corner. And it was like, oh, yeah, this is starting to be like San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It's like getting a little homesick. Yeah. Obviously, every single place you go has trade-offs. New York definitely has trade-offs. I always romanticize California. I mean, I, I there's a lot of beautiful nature and cool cities and cool people. Yeah, like- no, it's easy to do because it has the Bay Area and it has LA. Yeah. And like those are and and then I I'm sure people listen to this and being like, why do these yahoos have to like live in these popular cities? Just like, what about Chicago? What about what about not a city? What about like a regular Chicago's town? Chicago's great and so cold, so so cold. That's why I can't do it. Yeah. it's too cold. I like Minneapolis. Is the same. Yeah, and this is, yeah, it's just like, oh my face, I can't like talk. My face goes numb. Been there a few times, and Minneapolis feels like. Especially the like art community and definitely the comics community, it's, it sort of feels like 
if you piss one person off, you're screwed because it's such like it's, a small, it's, yeah, it's, it's such a small. small town vibe. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I like the comics community yeah. up there no, too. It's though. Great. They're very sweet, but yeah, it's it's definitely yeah. has a smaller vibe for a big city. But yeah, if you're a city person, these are basically. Your, the choices. In our 20s, we made a lot of stupid mistakes, and it was good that we lived in cities where there were a lot of people. Like, if you had done some of the shit that you did in your 20s in a smaller town, that would be the thing that you would be known for. Sure, yeah. You just, If you do it here, you just, like, move to another neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> you just, like, move a mile away, and you're like, I'm going to start over yeah. in this community. <laughs> do you feel like you, like, need to sort of, like, put roots down at this point? Do you feel like the um, sort of transitional part of your life is coming to a close? Oh, no. It's about to get so much worse. Yeah. Um, By choice? Yeah. I mean, I set it up so this year I'm going to McDowell, which is the artist colony up in New Hampshire. Going there for six weeks. There's some other residencies I might be going to. I have to come back in, to New York in June to redo my book tour that I had flaked on half of it because of the fires. I wouldn't say flaked. I didn't really... If you go home because it's it's not It was an act of God. Yeah, (laughs) I had to go home. Everything was on fire. I'm going to Italy. Like I'm I'm just – I'm traveling around a lot. Traveling is one thing. Just because you're traveling doesn't mean that you're not trying to put roots down. Right. But the whole thing is I won't really have – I don't have like my – I don't have have a home home base. base. No. No. I mean I might but I I don't really know. That's all in flux. But I might just be like living in my mom's attic or like keeping my stuff there while I travel around. And that's actually – fine because I was so rooted and I was in the same place in New York for 10 years and usually people come here and they move a lot. I came here, I moved three times. The third time I stayed for 10 years. So I had a very strong home base for a long time. So I'm kind of okay with like letting that go and just being in constant transition. But at the same time, it'd be real nice if I was 25 and not 35 doing that. The standards are really different in a city versus probably our respective hometowns, but probably most of the people that I went to high school with are married and have kids now. Yeah, and I mean, that's why it's a great to it's great to be in, in uh, New York in my mid-30s because no one's like, you having a baby yet? Because yeah. everyone's like, you're just doing your thing. And that's totally fine. Everyone's here doing their thing. So I really appreciate the city uh, for that aspect because yeah when I go home everyone usually everyone is married I actually except that I have this group of friends that I I hung out with in high school and early college before I moved to San Francisco and they're still all the same like in the same yeah. position I'm in and then it's like and it's just us it's like just this core group of people everyone else who went to high school is pretty much married with kids and I'm like how did we even know back then it's like just like the island of misfits you found your yeah we all found it and then like you know 20 years later we're still like all kind of in the same boat none of them have kids some one of them just got married so you went back and you lived with your mom for a while yeah I lived with my mom uh then I moved in with my boyfriend and that's the boys hot springs thing I can't imagine moving back in with my parents that sounds like that sounds like a living nightmare. Well, it's because I had it. Were it was fine because I knew it wasn't forever. You know, I like yeah. had there was an insight of moving. But sure, had I moved back and been like, "Well, this is what I'm doing," I would have had a total existential crisis. I mean, I did a little bit because at some point you had a mini existential crisis. Yeah, just little ones here yeah. and there. Because definitely, yeah, I would just be like laying in that attic at night sometimes and be like, "What? Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah." Do you like being in between places? Do you like? not having too much of an attachment. I mean, this is a little, this probably gets into Zen Buddhism a little bit of like the impermanence your, and emptiness. Yeah. Of your, yeah. of your material things. Sure. Um, I mean, in a, in a fantasy world, I would be able to live in California and New York, both part time. Um, on, on, on an artist salary. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's why I said fantasy. All world. those fart party bucks. <laughs> it's just all monopoly money. Should have bought Bitcoin. Yeah. That, that bubble's going to burst. 
That threw me into a weird loop. People who are like billionaires off of Bitcoin yeah. now. But I would like to... So in my fantasy world, I would be rooted in both. Like I would have an apartment here and a house there. But yeah, I'm a cartoonist. So that's not a yeah. reality. So this next year is kind of be like subletting here, kind of staying in California. Um, and eventually, hopefully, I'll just figure out which one I, I'm going to be in. But there's sacrifices to be made in both. So that's I think that's what I have to come to terms with. Like, what am I willing to sacrifice? So it sounds like you're already thinking about the next book. Yeah, I pitched it on Friday to my editor and she really liked it. And I was like, oh, how convenient that I pitched an idea that would like make it so I have to move back to New York. I was kind of hoping that she'd be like, no, that's I don't know. What else do you have? Well, it's moving you back to New York because of the publisher or because? Because the the subject of it. Okay. I don't want to like give yeah, too yeah. much. I don't want to have someone steal my hot idea. <laughs> um, but it would it would involve me like doing a lot of New York things and like talking to a lot of New York people, um, which is different from my like it'd be a lot of now. So I can't really spend. I'll spend a lot of time drawing it, but I won't be spending a lot of time like focusing on history stuff, which I can kind of do anywhere. It involves like me being here right mm-hmm. now. Being in the moment, being in the now, Ugh. being mindful. <laughs> it's been a while since we talked face to face, but it seems like you're in a much better place. I think so. I feel like I am. I mean, it's hard to not really know where I'm living, but I'm yeah. kind of okay with that. But I feel like I'm a bit in a bit of suspended animation. But like enough has changed like internally, especially like since I've been here in the last few weeks, actually, that I feel like I feel okay with what's happening. Like I'm not stressed out by it. I'm not like... I gotta, you know, I do have to make a lot of big decisions, but they're not driving me crazy. And I think this is all actually probably probably because of all the meditation and stuff. Like I, I'm gonna mess this up. There's like a Buddhist saying where it's like, I'm just gonna butcher it anyways. But if it's like, if you're in pain, you're living in the the future. If you're suffering, you're living in the past. If you're content, you're living in the present. And then in AA, they say if you have one foot in the future and one foot in the past, you're pissing on the present, which I find much more succinct. That's like what I'm just – as soon as I learned how to actually do that, which has been a, like a very long process for me to get there actually, like that's yeah. when I just stopped torturing myself. My brain was like, all right, well, if we're just focusing on what we're doing today, then we don't have to like spiral out about the future. So and, uh, it makes sense. You're content? No, I mean, well, <laughs> it, it comes and goes, you know. It's not like a permanent state of contentment. I st- I'm only human. I still like spend way too long fixating on things in the future, things that I'm agonizing about. I don't have like this constant feeling that like I'm not doing something right, I guess. Like for a long time, I for many, like I don't know, probably like the last 10 or so years, it was like I'm doing something wrong. Just some sneaking suspicion and nothing yeah, to and your I mean, on. And a lot of it was easy to pinpoint. I mean, when I was drinking every night, that was easy. That was like, well, I'm drinking all the time. That's what's wrong. But then when I, you know, quit doing that and I traded that for other stuff and it was like, well, that was what was wrong. But now that like I don't drink and I don't pop pain pills every day, there was like a sense that, yeah, just like my brain just like I was not able to control it. Yeah. It was just kind of like this like low grade existential despair sort of i don't want to, i don't i'm not describing it well i think that and i have this too some people just have addictive personalities but maybe you can channel into something positive you know maybe maybe you know yoga or meditation can be yeah. that thing i mean i would like to and i think part of why it's working for me actually and i my whole thing and this is i've been this way my whole life is i don't want to put the work into things the yeah. only thing i've ever really put my work into is like my actual work well that's my a comics. good thing to put work into yeah if you're gonna you're putting if you're gonna more work into it now all than the you ever things. did before 
Yeah. Which just says something. Yeah, if I was going to pick the, the thing to yeah. focus on the most. But I always want, like, the quick fix. Like, I want – like, meditating was hard because I want to immediately be, like, meditating with results immediate. Uh, yoga was hard because I want – like, I would just be, like I, – I didn't think I had to, like, start from the beginning. You know, there's, yeah. like, these 30-day ones. And I was like, well, I fucking, I'll just do f- day 15. Like, I'm in if good I'm not, like, shape. floating above the ground by day five, then I'm yeah, giving this thing Yeah, then up. I'll quit. And I would yeah. always do that with things. Like, I don't stick to anything. And, like, I'm at a point in my life where I'm sticking to these things and I'm recognizing, like, okay, you know what? I'll start from day one. What do I know? I don't do yoga every day. Like, yeah, I'm a beginner. I'm a, like, being a beginner in all of these things has, like, been probably, like, the biggest impetus of the change. Just being, like, I don't know it all. I'm just starting. Why do I think I get to skip all the steps? Why am I so special? So actually like forcing myself to start from the beginning and like yeah. see these things through and i think that's what the difference is the irony of really being for the first time in your life being a place where you can see things through and also being in this incredible state of transition all at the same time yeah and, and yeah <laughs> always good catching up with julia her latest book tenements towers and trash an unconventional illustrated history of New York City came out late last year. Thanks to her for taking the time to do that, and hopefully she will be moving back to New York City in the very near future. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us over on iTunes. Send us an email if you've got any feedback. It's rylcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your R-I-Y-L-related information. Like us on Facebook, and I think that's about it for this week, so stick around because we will be back just about this time next week with another episode of R.A.Y.L.